So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. The end of March marks the date from which UK internet users will have to verify their age before they can visit pornography websites. This is definitely not Brexit related, but you could say that certain uh, freedom of movement is being restricted <laughs> as a result of this. Smashing Security, Episode 119, Hijacked Homes, Porn Passports, and Ransomware Regret, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security episode 119. My name is Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. Hello, Cruel. Hello, Mr. Cluley. This is late in the evening for us. We don't normally record this late. Yes, it's it's Smashing Security late night. It's because we have someone who's very busy on the show. If you want to ring in with your... <laughs> Personal problems. Yes, sexual relationship problems, marital... Oh, stop it, it's my dream. We have with us this week technology guru and broadcaster David McClelland. Hello, David. Hello, 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 everyone. How are you doing? We're great. So what have you been up to? Where have you been? You've been gallivanting around, things like that? Yes, you always seem to catch me just after I've returned from somewhere. Uh, and I guess most recently I've been in Barcelona for MWC or Mobile World Congress, great city, as everyone though. calls it. Oh, Barcelona's my favourite city outside of the UK. Yeah, I, I think so. I've been Outside to... of the UK city? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's my favourite second city beside London. Better than Slough? Oh, better than Slough, yeah. But I think I've been to Barcelona more times than I've been to Birmingham. And I, I, I don't say that lightly. Bolton? Um, Bolton. Bolton. Um, I've never been to Bolton or Blackburn or Barnsley. I have been to Blackpool and I definitely prefer Barcelona to Blackpool. Um, but yeah, it's the um, I go there every year, several times a year, but it's the big annual mobile phone show, isn't it? And there's about 100,000 odd people all there geeking out over 5G and AI and blockchain and folding phones this year was a big oh, one. Oh, did you see a folding phone? I saw a folding phone behind a glass case because they're oh. still that far away from being in people's hands. You know hands. what? I never understood why they got rid of them. They were the best. I mean, I know there's a hinge, but come no, on. No, but these are ones with folding screens, Crow. Not like Captain Kirk. <laughs> oh, you mean not like a snap phone? <laughs> 
know that they, they aren't they aren't the communicator this is actual screen <laughs> technology that folds in the middle for yeah. for what reason i don't really know apart from the fact that mobile phone companies want yeah. to try and sell us something new and get us to part with two thousand pounds for a new device rather than one thousand pounds that's the thing isn't it because i'm finding that with my phone at the moment i'm just thinking well what is the possible reason that i would want to upgrade this phone it's um like, don't really care about it. Some water could fall on it and fritz the entire phone and short circuit it. <laughs> These days, they're waterproof, splash proof uh, phones, well, aren't they? I mean, I don't know how old yours is, Carol. Maybe it is time that you did my, upgrade. My Apple's success wasn't <laughs> last week. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh. An expensive mistake. Carol's mm-hmm. been having a pretty soggy time of it. So, Carol, <laughs> other than that, what have we got coming up on the show this week? Well, Graham, you have a viewing at a California mansion listed on Zillow. Uh, Dirty Dave delves into the murky world of UK porn. And yours truly will be asking the big question, to pay or not to pay? All this coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. So, chaps, I want to talk about Zillow. Now, we're all British, I believe. And so we quite possibly... I was chosen. I just want you to know that. Yeah, okay. I wasn't just born here. None of us know what Zillow is. Is that right? No, never heard of it before. Well, apparently it's a big deal. Have you heard of it? Isn't it it a house uh, buying, you know, whatever, like like Rightmove, like Rightmove in the UK? That's right. So what this Mm -hmm. is, is a website where you can look up hundreds of millions of different US homes, whether they're on sale or not, and it will tell you information about them. So mm-hmm. it will tell you what it believes its price is or how many ah. bedrooms or how many bathrooms or it'll show you the property on Google Street View and all kinds of information. Interestingly, information. interestingly mm. the UK equivalent is Zoopla. Also starts with a Z. It <gasps> does, yes. I was just thinking of them. Mm. Well, David, you and I are very smart. <laughs> well, I wanted to look up an American home on it. So I typed in the address of one of our occasional American guests now they don't know that i did this so i'm not going to name them um and i'm not going to give out their address and hopefully i won't give away their gender or you know any sort of identifying birthmarks or anything like that but if you click on the link which i've shared with you you will see the home right now oh that's quite nice that does i thought it looked quite nice as well actually i thought well they've done all right for themselves now i've never been to this person's house but now I know when it was built, how many bedrooms and bathrooms it has, all kinds of other information. I can see a picture of it from the street. It's now, bloody expensive, isn't it? It, is. it was quite expensive, wasn't it? Um, and I very much doubt that they added all of that detail themselves yeah. to Zillow. Maybe it was a previous homeowner. But the interesting thing about Zillow is it keeps information and it publishes information about your homes, whether you're selling your house or not, and whether you want to be on Zillow or not. Mm. They call these things Zestimates. That's fucking... That's right. So Zillow has a thing called Zestimates. And and, um, what the Zestimate is really there for is if you're thinking of buying a property or if you're curious about your own property and what it might be worth, you go to the Zillow website, it will give you its Zestimate. And the Zestimate, there is actually a disclaimer. It does say Zestimates are not professional appraisals, right? They don't walk around your house. It's just a computer algorithm based upon recent sale prices for similar properties in the area. And they may they may look at any information you've added, like, oh, you know, we did up the kitchen two years ago or you know Got a new the, boiler. Right. Or, you know, we Sexy did out the times. basement or we added an extension or whatever it is, right? 
Mm. But it doesn't know that stuff unless you tell it. So it won't know that you've installed a new kitchen. It won't know that you ripped up the stinky carpet and the downstairs loo and replaced it with some tiles. It won't know that you've got a fiberglass shark poking out of your roof. Which Ah, <laughs> oh, the shark. <laughs> the shark. David, if you haven't checked out Oxford properly, there is a house with a fibre shark. Fibre shark? A fiberglass <laughs> shark poking out of its roof from a guy called Bill Heiner. He's a local celeb. Quite incredible. Yeah, this is uh, quite a quite a famous bit of art. It's been sticking out of that same roof for quite a few years now, hasn't it? Maybe 30 years, something like that. Mm. So you can update the information in your Zillow profile if you claim ownership of the entry and add the information, right? Otherwise, it won't know anything. So the, the practical effect of Zillow is that many buyers give those estimates, even though Zillow say, look, we, this isn't really something you can base anything on. They give it as much weight as a professional valuation, and they use these estimates as a means of leveraging when they're trying to knock down the price on the properties that they want to buy. So someone is selling something for, I don't know, $600,000. But if Zillow says, oh, we estimate it's five hundred and fifty. Mm. You go in low and you say, well, why are you asking for 600000 You should mm. be five hundred or 550 In short, buyers love Zillow, but sellers aren't so keen. Right. And in the past, sellers have tried to sue Zillow. There, there was one group uh, who tr- was suing Zillow, and they, they were trying to sell properties for $1.5 million. Mm-hmm. But Zillow was saying, well, they were only worth a meagre $1 million. Who are all these people? Throwing around, bandying around millions of dollars. They're Americans, Carol. They've got loads and loads of money. One million, one point five, same diff. (laughs) Okay, but uh, but and Zillow, when asked to fix the zestimate, I'm going to have to keep on saying zestimate, aren't they? They refuse (laughs) to do so, and they but they also won't remove your property from the website, and so people get exactly to use the technical term. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Zillow, of course, being an American company, how does it defend this? First Amendment, Mm. freedom of speech. Yes. So they say we're protected. We're allowed to say this is what we believe your house is worth. And they have the little disclaimer on the page as well. Yeah. So so it's caused a bit of fuss. Mind you, I suspect sellers aren't complaining when Zillow lists properties with a higher estimate than they really (laughs) deserve, right? If they added a million. Quite. Now, here's the latest. Someone has claimed ownership of a Zillow listing that wasn't actually theirs. Hmm. There is a $150 million Chump change. palatial. <laughs> it's just like your pad, girl. Exactly. Pa- palatial. Helicopter. Helipad. Hilltop. You, oh, you joke. You joke about the helipad. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Go on. It's on a hilltop. It's overlooking the Pacific Ocean in Bel Air. Boring. Right? Home yeah. of Wiki Wiki Wow Wow. <laughs> Will Smith, right? <laughs> About 40 years ago, yes. <laughs> it's hey, got, hey, hey. <laughs> it's got 12 bedrooms. It has 21 bathrooms. Hang on, hang on. 21 bathrooms? <laughs> How does that even work? Does each Wait, bedroom have two baths? Yeah, so if every bedroom is a double, everyone can shit at the same time. <laughs> oh, charm. You are Almost charming, everyone. 38,000 square feet of interior space. I don't even know how big that is. Okay, I mean, so what, was that an aircraft hangar or it's what? It probably is, the isn't it? Parliament buildings, <laughs> something like that. 17,000 square feet of whatever are entertainment decks. Yeah. Three kitchens, which I think is a bit paltry, to be honest. Mm. Five bars. 
a fitness spa, a four-lane bowling alley, a basketball oh, court, a tennis court, a wine cellars. Stupid, stupid. And stupid. an 85-foot glass tile infinity pool. Oh, now oh, you're talking. Yep. You got yep, me there too. I like a pool. Bonjour, bonjour. Anyway, mm-hmm. last month, a hacker gained control of this Uber Mansions uh, listing page on Zillow and updated its information. Now, if I had, <laughs> if I had accessed that, I think I would, I would have been tempted to change it in a different way. I think, you know, mm. you you would have made out that it was next to some sort of nuclear processing plant or <laughs> a sewage pit. Oh, you know, like a, like a hacker. Would. Yes, exactly. I yeah. mean, if you're going to hack it, that's the sort of thing that most people, I suspect, would do is just out of pure jealousy. They would deface it in that way. But what this particular person did is they used a fake mobile phone number and a Chinese IP address. They were able to waltz past Zillow's security questions in uh. order to convince the site that they were the genuine owner. Now, remember, nobody puts <laughs> their property up on Zillow. Right. The property is already there and you can claim it, which means that Zillow doesn't really know very much about you other than what's a public record. And they've been able to grab from a database. So if you're able to confirm and answer their security questions, you may be able to claim any old property up there. Mm-hmm. But what this particular hacker did was they then posted a history of recent bogus sales of the property for up to $60 million less. Ouch. Then the genuine owner is asking because they're asking for 150 million dollars mm. right now. So they're asking for 90 million as opposed to 150 million. Right. And they had a number of sales in close succession, like over a few days of like, oh, it's been sold again for this price and it's up and down, but it's it's basically a lot less than what is really being asked. And you mm. have to wonder why would someone want to do that? Yeah, because they want to process the a deal. So it's maybe the uh, what's it called? Um, the, the, the realtor, broker, the realtor broker, maybe, or or maybe it's someone who wants to buy the property but wants to buy it for less. And so okay, I'm hooked. Clue, I'm hooked. Tell me you have an answer to this. No, I don't. Oh. But, <laughs> but we don't know who did it. But they even announced on the page that there was going to be an open house on February the eighth, and anyone can come along and go and view the property. And frankly. If I'd seen that, I think I would have been tempted. My wife definitely would have been tempted. She definitely would have wanted to check out those 21 bathrooms and <laughs> five bars. And how you many would. bars can you look at? Seriously. <laughs> no, but, no, but a house, a $150 million house, girl, you are going to want to check that out, aren't you? Come on. Okay. It'd be a nice day out. Have you ever been to a big office, right? You could just walk around all the stalls and go, oh, look, I've seen 100 toilets. That's exciting. I do remember once when we worked at a particular security <laughs> company, Carol. I know exactly what you're going to say. When we did a survey of the quality of the lavatory paper yes. in different... To see if the um, head honchos had a three-ply versus the one-ply <laughs> donated to the first four workers. I, I won't reveal the results. I would be giving away too much. Anyway. It is alleged that Zillow was asked by the the real seller's lawyers to pull down the bogus information, but it took them over a week and they still hadn't done anything. And Zillow said, oh, you know, we go to great lengths. First Amendment, First Amendment, First Amendment. (laughs) We we only put, we really try and publish only correct and accurate data, but something went wrong. And um, the way in which they work, they say, is unfortunately... If someone's able to provide responses to the verification questions, they're able to claim the home, at least its entry on the website. And they don't manually this check. This is fucking in 
insane. But also, they ask you the same questions over and over again. So if you try four or five times, Carol, you're yeah. going to know what the questions are. And so you can be yeah. prepared with the answers. If you really want to do this, you can do it. Yeah, no, no. I just think the model's insane because Zillow's basically holding homeowners hostage by providing misleading, at times, information, which is actually affecting the market. And they're saying, oh, First Amendment, we don't have any responsibility for actually assuring that this information is right because it's a zestimate. Imagine you were a big property magnet in America, for instance. You had a number of properties. Maybe you had one in Mar-a-Lago down in Florida. Maybe you had some in New York. And you yep. wanted to inflate their prices, you know, in order to convince Forbes that you should be on some top ranking list of the biggest <laughs> earners. You know, you might well just think, oh, I'll just go on to Zillow. I would flip my beautiful <laughs> golden locks from one side to the next and add a zero. <laughs> so this is our message for people who might find their homes on Zillow. Unfortunately, you can't ask them to remove your house's entry. We can ask them. They're just not necessarily going to do anything about it. The only thing it seems you can really do if you're worried about this is visit the site regularly to check your entry and hopefully claim it for yourself so that someone else doesn't mess oh, around with it. That's the worst advice because then you're saying, okay, so then you're tied to that listing of your house and it's your job to make sure the information is correct on Okay, Crow, what's your advice? Is your advice to launch a denial of service attack against Zillow so no one can get up there? Is that your plan or go and firebomb their offices? Pass. Oh, all right. Well, this current mega mansion, $150 million, they are asking for $60 million, $60 million in damages against Zillow. So we will have to wait and see whether they manage to get any of that money out of them. Anyway, $60 million, not bad, eh? I guess it's that much because, um, well, America, isn't it? Chump change. <laughs> Trump change. Oh. Oh, boom, boom. Firebombing their offices. <laughs> David, what's your story for us this week? Well, well, well. So, uh, <laughs> you know, when you guys got in touch with me last week to uh, ask mm. me onto the show this week, and you, and you did say that Smashing Security had been, well, languishing in the gutter over the last few episodes, and you were hoping I could help it to rise above once again. <laughs> it was yeah. all Maria's fault. Oh, no, it wasn't. Well, it was your fault, actually, Carol, wasn't it? What? With your pick of the week with the rude words. Anyway, I'm I'm flattered that you ask me, and I do love a good challenge, but not this week. So, as we all know, there is a ticking time bomb afflicting the UK that looks set to come to an almighty climax at the end of the month. I'm not talking about Brexit. Um, after countless mass debates and government ministers... Oh, my goodness. What? <laughs> You're gorgeous. Carry on. As I was saying, <laughs> after countless mass debates and government ministers endlessly shuffling backwards and forwards, oh. the end of what? <laughs> the end of March marks the date from which UK internet users will have to verify their age before they can visit pornography websites. What? So is it banned for seniors now? Uh, no, no, no. You have to be 18 or above. Oh, right. So uh, right. you're okay, girl. You're okay. <laughs> She's more than okay. Just she was wait. okay a long time ago. Just wait till you see my pick of the week. Oh, right. okay, okay. So, it's, so yeah, this is definitely not Brexit related, but you could say that certain uh, freedom of movement is being restricted <laughs> as a result of this. 
So um, before it's too late, for those of you who do have a penchant for dirty websites, I urge you to head right now yes. to www.legislation.gov.uk mm-hmm. and in particular to the Digital Economy Act 2017, Chapter 30, Part 3 where the government deals with lots of issues arising from online pornography. In particular, aside from lots of talk of statutory instruments... They sound pretty brutal, if you ask me. Um, The legislation introduces the concept of an age verification regulator. Now, I'm definitely getting the horn over this. I'm I'm, I'm glad to hear it. So whether you think this whole thing is a good idea or not about restricting access to online pornography Mm -hmm. for under 18s, whether you think that's a good thing or not, and there are arguments on both Mm -hmm. sides, there is a sticking point, and that is how on earth technically can this age verification be enforced across all of the different websites, all the different social media and dedicated sites that might serve up pornographic content deliberately or otherwise to under-18s? Now, the government minister in charge at the time was uh, Matt Hancock. Perhaps he was a bit premature, should we say, (laughs) by (laughs) by giving the world nine months to try and figure it out. And he literally chucked it out there, didn't he? And said, hey, you you guys have got nine months until April 2018. You go away. You go and do that. It'll be fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) Anyway, needless to say, that didn't work. A few deadlines have kept on getting pushed back until now, it seems. And April, maybe around about Easter, seems to be about the time when the government is saying they're going to flick the switch on this. So So, so they're going to slip this in. They're they're planning to slip this in under the cover. Don't of, even compete. No, no, I'm not trying to. But I mean, what I'm saying is that the, all of Britain is obsessed at the moment with Brexit and the current mm-hmm. omni shambles, which is happening around that. So that's in all the headlines. Whereas this story, which is going to affect a lot of people and would be in, mm-hmm. of interest to them, it's not really getting very much coverage, is Who's it? Who's going to complain? Who's going to complain other than the places that provide porn or the kids that want access that they're underage? Well, people will complain if they are concerned that their personal information may at some point be breached in the future and it may come out that they've been accessing these sites. And and that is the point here. It's about the consequences Mm. of this particular enforcement. So this week, one of the biggest players in online pornography, MindGeek, which owns the likes of YouPorn and Pornhub and many besides, apparently, um, (laughs) it has developed a system called AgeID. And so what will happen is, Graham, is that when... When you visit one of MindGeek's sites, you'll be directed to a, um, a pl- um, I guess, a non-pornographic age ID website where you will be asked to yes. enter in an email address and password as your username and password to confirm your age by using a credit card, a passport or a driving licence. That, in turn, will then enable you to log into any sites that support Age ID. Did you get that, Graham? Are you clear on those instructions? So, that, that, so uh, these sites, these Age ID sites, are going to ask me for credit card to prove that I'm old enough or a pass. Yes, they want me to give them my credit card information or scan yes. in my passport. Nothing yes. important, or your driver's <laughs> license. No big, no biggie, no biggie. So, so look, 
it doesn't take a lot of imagination to to, to, to realise that this is potentially loaded with trouble. First yeah. of all, you know, um, it's going to encourage teens to visit perhaps less reputable sites, not those mind geek sites, places mm. where maybe that you know the, mm. the, these aren't being enforced. To download VPN software, for example, that you know I, I hear people do to bypass geographic IP address checks. And as we all know, not all VPN software is uh, is above board mm-hmm. and looks after your data responsibly. And yes, of course, it will open the door. I can guarantee it to phishing scams as fraudsters look oh to set goodness. up fake yes. verification sites to capture credit card, passport details. They'll set up fake porn sites. Of course, this data's got to be stored somewhere. So that makes then, you know, it a mm. big target for um, for potential fraudsters and scammers wanting to hack into that database. Yeah. Now, listen, you both are parents. Does this something that worries you that your kids might access porn before 18? Is Like, who's really worried about that as a as an issue? My son is of an age where he wouldn't encounter this kind of stuff at the moment because he just yeah. wouldn't go browsing around. But um, I, I certainly know older children who have accidentally mm. accessed this kind of stuff and been quite shaken by it yeah, uh, and not found it very pleasant. Absolutely. So it's the landing on it like by accident and it's a shock. That, I make, that makes sense. I, yeah. I, I, and I think that that's one of the parts of this legislation in a way, because uh, on the one hand, some people go, you know, very, very deliberately to seek out pornography online. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. Many people say that's very, very healthy indeed. But it's when it's stumbled upon accidentally. Right. And goodness knows there are quite a few websites that have got perfectly innocent looking URLs when you type them in deliberately, accidentally, whatever then you are presented without any filter whatsoever with extreme, hardcore, potentially shocking content. Yeah. And that is the stuff that should absolutely have some uh, clamps put down on it to protect innocent young eyes. I was teaching an English class and showing them how to use the web. This is way back and we used to use a search engine called Hotbot. <laughs> so I'll, I'll let you know what happened. You can, you can <laughs> in front of everyone. Oh, <laughs> yeah. boy. Yeah. So my son has a Chromebook. Um, because he uses those at school. And I've actually set it up to use something called the Clean Browsing DNS. It's fairly easy to set it up. You just put it into the computer or on your router, and that automatically blocks certain types of websites from being visited, whatever Mm. application might be using it. So you don't have to run any actual software on the computer, but just by changing the DNS records. It also puts things like Google into safe search mode, and I think it does the same on YouTube as well, which can block some nastiness. And that that sounds like a really, really good idea. And like you say, you could set that up either at your router side, Mm. so it only uses that safe search DNS, or on a device-by-device basis, perhaps, as well. I would like the sound of that, Graham. Good good call. You're so smart, Graham. Yeah, you're so smart. (laughs) You're so smart. (laughs) So, I mean, this is all going to be kicking off in April. We we really think this is going to happen. Well, yes. Um, So as late as autumn last year, the government was saying that they would hope to have it in place by Easter, which is quite late on in April this year. Um, uh, We we don't know exactly when it's going to be dropping, but whenever it is, if I'm honest, I'm not sure this one's going to have a happy ending. And societally... (laughs) And (laughs) we're going to have a lot of like pent up men who don't want to actually take part and give away their age information or driver's license or passports running around the streets. So, yeah. 
Well, quite frankly, and anyone who's going to unsavory websites anyway should be using porn. Isn't unsavory? Well, no, but it's there just are, adult. Oh, all right, all right. But you know, if if you may not want, for instance, your ISP knowing that you're going to these sort of sites, so presumably you're using a VPN anyway. <laughs> yeah, so the VPN guy can know. Yeah, the VPN guys are going to start advertising. Well, no, some of some of the VPNs. Are some of them don't know. I know, uh, but but you know. The VPN guy's going to start advertising this as yet another reason why you want to use VPNs, aren't they? Yeah. Maybe some good will come of it. Maybe that maybe there will be some good. For those sites that don't enforce this age restriction, there's some pretty hefty fines in place. You know, first of all, get blocked by all ISPs, but up to a quarter of a million pounds, which, you know, for many of these sites is, is going to be a big oh, chunk lummy. of money for them. And this, of course, will affect sites all around the world. You don't have to be a UK-based porn site. Exactly. Wherever you are, if you are delivering content. So I wonder whether some sites may simply decide we don't want to get into this age ID thing. Let's just forget about the UK anyway, because they're not really into sex. And we'll just concentrate on the Belgians. <laughs> <laughs> Carol, what's your story for us this week? Come with me to Jackson County, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Georgia. Georgia. Jackson County is a quiet rural area in the southern U.S. state with a population of about 64,000. They boast an impressive public library as one of its top tourist attractions. <laughs> okay, I'll show you. It's quite impressive. Take a look. It's impressive. I remember once I went on a trip to Zagreb and I thought, what am I going to do when I'm here? And I looked up on TripAdvisor, the top attractions. Number one was <laughs> the cemetery. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember when we went to Geneva and on the top 10 was the world's longest bench? Oh, so, yes. Yeah. Yes, I remember the bench. Yes. Yeah, we went and saw that. So Wednesday last week, bleary officials in Jackson County announced that they'd been hit by a ransomware attack. And... It had managed to bring the entire fleet of computer systems to its knees. Now, the ransomware had hit on the 1st of March, six days earlier. And then they announced to the press. So you can imagine the hell the Jackson County IT team faced during those five or six days. Daily meetings, caffeine-laden systems, grumpy bosses. And they were probably blamed for not protecting against the attack. Now, apparently, the entire county's government email was fritzed. The only thing that was left standing was the 911 emergency system and its website. Right. Mm. So you get the picture. They were waist deep in ransomware doo-doo. The sheriff in town, Janice Mangum, which drives me nuts because I bet she wishes she could change her name to Magnum. (laughs) (laughs) So close. Anyway, Janice Magnum said, everything we have is down. We're doing our bookings the way we used to do it before computers. We're operating by paper in terms of reports and arrest bookings. We've continued to function. It's just more difficult. So Jackson officials don't sound super freaked out, but I bet this is a brave phrase for the press, right? It must have been a nightmare scenario inside. Now, they didn't confirm how hackers breached the network. All right. But some are speculating that it's the Ryuk ransomware. Um, this is a known but apparently undecryptable strain of ransomware that tags along with other botnets to creep into systems. 
Right, so only the bad guys can decrypt your data. You've got to pay them uh, to get right. your data back, right? Exactly. Right, so let me set the scene here. So you're this small rural community in Jackson County. You're, you've spent a week desperately trying to retrieve your files and data. You've had to announce to the press. And, you know, what do you do? Do you carry on or do you pay up? Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to make a call? No backups. No backups. There's not a lot of mention in the press about that. They don't seem to want to be coming really clean, <laughs> but I'm guessing that's probably an issue. <laughs> right. Because okay. um, they ended up shelling out $400,000 to get their files back. Yeah. <laughs> so I did some maths. And it works out to about six dollars, six and a quarter dollars per Jackson County resident. Okay, now put that in your back pocket because it's going to be important later. Right. Wow. So, Jackson County official Kevin Poe said we had to make a determination on whether to pay. We could have literally been down months and months and spent as much or more money trying to get our systems rebuilt. Jackson County, you're four hundred thousand right. smackaroos down. But they have their data back, right? And most of us in the cyber industry would say, never pay, never ever pay, never pay. Just say no. I, I've got various thoughts about this. I, I think sometime, I mean, obviously, in an ideal world, you'd have a backup and you'd be able to recover and you'd be able to do it in a timely fashion and get your systems up and running. But I also think that businesses need to be a little bit pragmatic. And if they haven't got a backup, if there's nothing to restore then maybe it is easier to pay. But I hate, hate the idea of paying. Mel Gibson never paid in ransom. (laughs) (laughs) He never said, he never gave in. that's so cool. He never gave in. so cool. But I I hate it. First of all, because the bad guys end up, you know, cashing out. They're doing great from it. But also it sends a message to to everybody, Mm -hmm. this is an organization that's prepared to pay. Yeah. And who knows if they fixed whatever problem it was w- through which the ransomware came in in the first place. They may get hit next time and ask for $800,000. Yeah. And I, it's that long-term thinking, I think, that's very easy to dismiss. When you are a public servant, you have all of your computers scrambled in front of you. And yeah, like you say, it's going to cost more money to to reestablish those systems to get things back up and running again. Or you can write a check straight away. I can understand why they did pay. I hate the idea of it, but yeah, I can see that. I'm very surprised, actually, by both your reactions, because this was going to be my big moment here, okay? So you guys can just pretend to run with me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. (gasps) (laughs) Not yet. I'll tell you when. I'll say, deep gasp now. Okay, okay. We practiced that. That's good. You might remember the SamSam ransomware, and in March, Mm -hmm. it actually ended up taking down Atlanta's computer network. This is Jackson County's neighboring capital city. Samsung managed to knock out almost all of Atlanta's services. They couldn't issue warrants, process inmates, uh, you know, court fee payments, accept online bill payments. It was all a bit of a mess. And to unlock the city's systems and data, the hackers were demanding $51,000 in Bitcoin, quite a lot less than what Jackson County was pacing. Quite a right? lot, yeah. And do you know what Atlanta did? They refused to pay. Right. So my question in doing the story was, what did that cost the residents? Uh-huh. So I did a little digging, and initial recovery costs seemed to be pegged at just shy of $3 million. So how many people live in Atlanta? I look that up. Half a million. 
So it works out to $6 per person. And if you remember, <laughs> Jackson County's was six and a quarter per person. So right now, it's pretty aligned. It doesn't seem to be any difference in terms of doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing. <laughs> so you're kind of thinking everyone should do the right thing. So did how did Atlanta recover if they didn't pay? Did they have backups or did they have people to re-enter the data or what, what occurred? Well... Atlanta just announced last week that the cost estimate has changed a teeny tiny smidge. It's up <laughs> from three million to I'm ready. an estimated seventeen million. Georgia. <gasps> Georgia. So the cost to residents is now six times as much as Jackson County, the rural town that paid the baddies to go away. Now, Atlanta is coming clean in saying that it's revamping its right. systems to be more secure. And that is reflected in this $17 million price tag. But yeah, who wins, right? The upshot seems to be that it costs a load of money to do the right thing. <laughs> And I'll tell mm. you one thing. The thing I learned in all this is if you're an IT sec guy out there listening to this, IT sec guy or girl, head to Georgia because <laughs> they got the money. They need you. <laughs> the other thing, I think we spoke about this um, maybe about a year ago or something in, in another podcast. There are some companies which say we will help you recover from a ransomware infection give us your files a and they charge the organization <laughs> an amount of money and yeah. they use some of it to yeah. pay the hackers no and they keep the profit oh. yeah of course so, they do of course they which, do which may look better pr wise i don't know for the organizations who've been hit than um, simply yeah. go paying the bad guys it's Basically, protect your systems is what you're saying, Carl. <laughs> don't, don't let this happen in the first place. Make sure you've got backups. Exactly. Well, it, you know what? It's not just having backups, is it? It's having accessible, I can reload yeah. right away backups. I need, I'm testing them monthly and I know it works. So if anyone just grabs my systems, I know I might lose half a day's work for the company, whatever, but I'm not in that horrible scenario of going, oh, I know I have backups, but, and, Ironically, because we did a we did a piece recently on cyber mm. insurance, didn't we? Atlanta was saying, and part of the seventeen million dollars is we now have cybercrime insurance. Uh, so it, yeah, it does make my blood boil. And before I did media -y stuff and talked about tech, I used to do tech, and I used to do I used to do disaster recovery, business resilience, business continuity. And a backup isn't a backup until you've restored yep. from it, and you need yep. to make sure you understand your recovery time objectives and all all that good stuff. And how much data you're prepared to lose, and it seems to me that particularly in public services, that stuff just doesn't happen the way that it should. So it's a bit of a quandary. So watch out out there. It's an interesting little story. How much does it cost the residents? Quite a fun game. When the sugar hits the fan, it's all about how quickly you can get back up and running again, isn't oh, it, right, Oh, cutesy, cutesy. You found that with your uh, iPhone, didn't you? <laughs> when you dropped it down the loo or whatever happened. If only I yeah. dropped it down the loo. It, like two sprinkles of water, I swear to God. That's the only thing I can think that happened. And it really fritzed. Like scarily, like magenta, you know, lightning rods across the Ooh. screen. But apparently I have insurance, so let's see what happens. 
Human error is at the root of 95% of all security breaches. It's all too easy for any of us to make a mistake that lets hackers win. Download a free cybersecurity awareness training kit from Mimecast, which will help your staff learn about threats like data leaks, ransomware, business email compromising, vision, and much, much more. Grab it for yourself at smashingsecurity.com slash Mimecast. And thanks to Mimecast for supporting the show. Quote, most business security breaches are the result of one thing, sloppy password practices. Effective enterprise password management is a must to ensure that your employees are properly protecting their accounts. Unquote. That's my co-host, Graham Cluley. This is what he says on the LastPass Enterprise page. And most of you know how much I hate to admit when he's right, but he is. Sloppy passwords are a huge contributor to security breaches within an organization. The way to manage that is get a password manager. And the one we recommend is LastPass Enterprise. Check it out at lastpass.com slash smashing. On with the show. And welcome back. And you join us at our favorite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they read, TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they like. Doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Should not be. Now, a couple of episodes ago, the lovely Maria recommended Tetris 99 on the new. Oh, Nintendo she did. Have Switch. you been playing it? Have you been playing I've it? I've played it a little bit. I haven't played it as much as I would like. I don't oh. tend to get, well, I just don't tend to get very much access to the Nintendo Switch because I'm sharing my house with a seven year old. Does, does your seven year old <laughs> so. not go to bed? <laughs> Well, you know, I'm, you know, doing other things. Are you, you one know, of those parents that has it in his room? No, 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 no. But it's no, certainly not. No, no, no. Anyway, I don't need Tetris 99 anymore because I have discovered on Twitter an account called Emoji Tetra. Okay, I'm checking right. it out. Clicking through. Clicking, Clicking through. through. Emoji Tetra <laughs> is a Twitter bot uh, written by a chap called Joe Sondow. And it uses Twitter polls so that the Twitter community can decide whether the falling block coming down oh. the game of Tetris moves left, right, or twists oh. or drops. Um, now, <laughs> and that's basically it. It is a way of playing multiplayer Tetris rather slowly. And it's all computerized and botized. And I just thought, well, that's very cute. I'm not, okay. I'm not sure I get it. I mean, I understand it's a game. I don't understand so, how it let, works. Let I'm me, looking at a GIF of it. I need okay. To, so you're yeah. looking at a GIF of the current situation. And what you are seeing is an L-shaped uh, piece, which uh, in the fullness of time will descend down the screen, right? And it would fill a little bit of gap there. And you would fill up the, all those hearts. You see the greens and the purples. You'd get a line there, mm. but there would be a gap underneath. Now, you could choose, Kroll, to vote to rotate that. That's what I'm going with. I'm, right. I'm, I'm going to click, click on, rotate. on rotate as well. I think that is the correct thing to do. So right. at the moment, 91% of people have chosen to rotate that piece. That is probably the most sensible mm. thing to do. Now, you might then have to move it left, I'm suspecting, but we have to wait for the next one to come through. Looks like they happen every few minutes. And then we could drop it down and we would get two lines. This information is going to be fascinatingly glorious for the gambling community to understand how you guys, how the world chooses left, right, rotator down. Well, Excellent. I'm just saying you don't need a Nintendo Switch and multiplayer online support. You just need Twitter because you Twitter's amazing. Twitter. Twitter's the best thing ever. Twitter, 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 well, Twitter. 
you might be excited about Emoji Tetra. And then I discovered there's oh. also the Emoji Snake game. So if you <gasps> oh, have... I love Snake. Oh, I love my <laughs> Grim, that's not fair. I like Twitter, but Snake. So there's a snake going around. <laughs> so... And you can decide whether to turn it left or right. And it's a group choice, right? It's, it's every left or right, up, down. And um, yeah. How much fun is that? <laughs> and this is the same, same guy again. Guy. Is that John it's the same Sunday guy, guy who's doing it? And oh. I just thought, well, that's lovely. Yeah, <laughs> it, that's ingenuity. And how nice to see a positive, wonderful bot on Twitter rather than the normal. Well, Russian you don't know guide. that. How nice to see a wonderfully looking bot that seems to be doing no not, harm. It's, it's not spreading bile, though, is it, Carol? It's not being unpleasant to people trying to change their political views or anything. I'll reinforce. How do you know? Ugly. Things because are it's very just a hidden game today. Of Snake and Tetris. That's why, Carol. <laughs> are you suggesting because it's Tetris, there's some Russian influence? <laughs> What I should say is that the same guy, I've just uh, doing a bit of digging around yes. on him, uh, the same guy actually does a few of these bot accounts, and it seems as though one of the more popular ones, certainly more popular than uh, Emoji Tetra and, and the Emoji Snake one, is Emoji Aquarium. Yeah, I've checked that out. Yes, that's yes. that's got almost 20,000 <laughs> followers on there. <laughs> <laughs> David, what's your pick of the week? Well, we haven't talked about porn for a few minutes, so let's change that. <laughs> It normally takes me a few minutes to recover until I'm in the mood for it again, to be honest. But OK, right, let's, so, let's go for it. But this one, again, we're talking serious stuff here. So my pick of the week this week is a podcast. Well, it's, it's a, a couple of things, I suppose, um, by British author and documentarian John Ronson. Now, I first came across John's work uh, via his book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, in, mm. yeah, which, is, which is a brilliant read if you haven't come across it. I've read it. It's wonderful. I find mm. it. I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for those of you who haven't come across it, it is uh, how social media, Twitter in particular, has essentially reinvigorated the centuries-old ritual of public shaming. <laughs> so once upon a it's time, shocking actually. Yeah. When you were young, Graham, perhaps, we used to lock petty criminals in the stocks in the town hall square and you know throw fruit at them. Um, after a little bit of hiatus where society tried to convince itself that it was civilised, nowadays we're basically doing the same thing again, but yep. this time yep. on social media instead. So what Joe, what, what John does in Saving Publicly Shamed is tell a number of oh, toe-curling stories in the book through interviews with the uh, victims, I guess, of how the mob descends and punishes yep. those uh, pretty ruthlessly who it deems worthy. The book's great. Um, I've read it a couple of times. He reads the uh, audiobook on Audible very well as well. But that's just the preamble, because speaking of Audible, John Ronson's mm. recent projects have been serialised in podcast form, podcast documentaries, and one of them is called The Butterfly yes. Effect, which, for the avoidance of doubt, is my pick of the week. Um, so the, the butterfly effect, he explores how the web changed the porn industry and the, the ripple on effect of that. So this isn't juvenile or seedy in the way that, you know, sometimes we talk about it on here. Um, it's refreshingly, it's yes. matter of you? fact. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, guilty as charged. Shame him. <laughs> Tomatoes out of tins before you throw them at me, please. 
So what it begins by doing is it starts by looking at the advent of freely yeah. available pornography on the web. So sites like Pornhub and those other MindGeek sites. And then it looks at the ripple effect, the so-called butterfly effect, that the availability of this free on-demand porn has had on society, on the adult entertainment business, a, a big business around that, obviously, and of course on adolescents as well, on, on children who stumble across this material. John has uh, a really sharp understanding of internet culture and uh, I really enjoy his analysis of how it impacts on so many facets of our lives, sometimes subtle, sometimes profound ways. So the podcast, Butterfly Effect, The Last Days of August, which is a spin-off of that, and You've Been Publicly Shamed, they're all my pick of the week. Ah, so... Mm, Awesome. I have listened to The Butterfly Effect, which I really mm-hmm. loved. I've read most of his books. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I've read A Publicly Shamed. Mm-hmm. I also read Psychopath Test. Mm. And Graham and I, with our partners, we bought did. tickets to see John Ronson <gasps> in Oxford doing a reading of The Psychopath Test or something. With special guest psychopaths, as I remember. <laughs> Oh, no, they were victims of psychopaths. They weren't actually the psychopaths. Or were they? I can't remember now. All I can say is I think he's great on audiobook. His audiobooks (laughs) are incredible because I really like his voice. I know not everyone loves it. I really love it. I find his his cadence just really lovely. But, uh, yeah, there you go. He's uh, he's done a TED talk on So You've Been Publicly Shamed. And also he's on tour again in this country. He's based in the United States now, but he's on tour again talking about Butterfly Effect last days of August in May this year. So interesting feedback. I'm thinking of going to go and see him do this tour. Do, do, and let us know what you think. Okay. Yeah. We thought he was shit. (laughs) (laughs) But I love him. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Oh. We were so looking forward to it, and it maybe it just wasn't for working for him that night, but it was just... Hashtag be nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, you're not going to have me saying it was shit, <laughs> are you? Anyway, she's editing this up. <laughs> Crow, what's your pick of the week? Okay, so I live in Oxford, and we have a few smarty pants Oxford professor friends. La-di-da, I know, I know, I know. No, you're not one of them. I don't even think you even went to uni. Okay, so... One of them, get this, is a professor of quantum computing, right? And he came over here for dinner on Saturday night. Now, I can only assume that he sees us as a normal adult season eight-year-old. Like, honestly, like that we get the most basic concept, but lacking any real depth of thought or anything. Because this might be the reason why he introduced us to howold.net, a Microsoft attempt to get in on the facial recognition party. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Am I? I don't know. So basically, the premise is simple. Upload a pic and let the algorithm do its work. And it gauges how old you are. So of course, I loaded pics of both of you. You I started did what? with you, Clue. <laughs> I started with you. You uploaded yes. my photograph yes. to Microsoft's Go back Skynet. to episode 106. Uh, you did the same to me. Okay, so I started with you, oh, clearly. Okay. You've already got your excuses ready. And I was, I was, I chose the picture that you looked the oldest in. I went along your site on GrahamClue.com. <laughs> I looked for the picture that was the oldest. And guess what happened? What happened? They thought you were 37. Thank you very much. It's because I don't have any wrinkles because I'm so fat. That's why. 
<laughs> so then I went on to I went on to uh, start page image search, right? Found right. a little pic yeah. of our friend David here, and yeah. uh, David, I don't um, know how old you are, but I think you're I think you're younger than what it thought. It said forty four. Oh, yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am younger than that for the avoidance of doubt. I, I thought for sure you were. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay. So of course, then, you know, I thought maybe I should load myself up because hashtag be yeah, nice. That's what we're right? waiting for. And it wouldn't yeah, be fair if I didn't on. slap up my own mug. So I grabbed one from my local machine called Crawl. Was it like an airbrushed photo? Was it when you had done at a studio? No, no, no. I literally just, I just, I literally went to, I searched for my name, found one, slapped it up. Okay. And I'm sorry, guys. I'm, yeah, promise, hand on heart. And I'm really sorry because I came out rather well in this. Okay. Oh, forgive you. Okay. Are you ready? What's it going to be? Check it out. Oh, my word. And so it's saying 73. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, to be fair, Carol. I know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So then I thought about it, right? 73 is a great age. My mom rocked 73. And besides, I think everyone plays the age game totally wrong. Isn't it much smarter to tell everyone that you're like a decade or hell decades older than you actually are so they can marvel at your youthful appearance and physical abilities? So yeah, I'm 73, hottest one in the room. Boom. I think this all says far more about Microsoft's really piss poor AI than it does about any of our photos or ages. Okay, totally, honest, I freaked totally. out, right? Of course, when it said 73, I totally freaking freaked out. I freaked out and I madly searched for another picture, found this one, slapped it up, and it actually gave my correct age because I did this. Uh, it gave it oh. exactly. Oh, but you're doing the kind of Princess Diana eyes there, aren't you? They're the only two I have on my desktop, so they're the ones that I used. But it's a, there's a 30-year age gap between the two. So, uh, well done, Microsoft. High five. Don't you love how they say, don't they say on it somewhere, like, I think they say, like, don't be mad if we got it wrong. Yeah, sorry if we didn't get the get it quite right. It says underneath the pictures. We are still improving this feature. <laughs> so do they actually ask you to enter what no, your real age is? No, no, no. And I would never so have done that. I, I obviously gave them yours. Right. I emailed them especially. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I kept I kept David in mind private because you wow. know we're not we're not yeah because we're Cause a security, security podcast. Yeah. Good, yeah, <laughs> good. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week, David. I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online and follow you on your travels. What's the best way for folks to do that? Well, on that there Twitter, I am at David McClelland, all one word, two C's, three L's. Cross your fingers and hope for the best. <laughs> He's never said that before, ever, and guys. You ever. can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity, no G. Twitter wouldn't allow us to have a G. And you can continue the discussion on Reddit. We've got a Reddit subreddit now, imaginatively titled Smash Insecurity. So just go looking for that. And you can chat about things you've heard about on the podcast or tell us what we got wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so huge warm hugs to our Smashing Security sponsors, LastPast and Mimecast. Their support helps us give you this show for free. And fist bumps to all our glorious listeners. Yes, you! If you like what you hear and want to help us grow, then do that leave a review thing. It really, really helps. Until next week, cheerio, bye-bye. 
forgot to say bye. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I was waiting for you, ladies first. I know, I know, I know. That's very nice, and I just forgot. I'm still reeling from the 73. really enjoy his analysis in the butterfly effect in the last days of uh, april what's, as well sorry. which is an, another podcast is, oh, oh, sorry, yeah, what's was, going on was, Graham? what is that noise i was trying to mute my microphone it's my dog my dog is underneath me and he's scratching rather loudly at the carpet so <laughs> okay, I, uh, okay, okay i was just okay. trying to mute the microphone okay, but it wouldn't okay. put you off we just heard okay sorry i didn't mean to interrupt yeah, you i, Carry I, on. I did now. wonder what was going on there We'll just re- remove his audio. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, John. John has. Uh-